And so in chapter 13, we'll see something uh, really important in verse 15, right? Right. The, uh, the east wind, the wind of the Lord shall come. This is this is judgment of restoration or judgment restoration, judgment restoration. And so, even in chapter 12, he talked about judgment. Now, chapter 13, restoration, judge, restoration. Judge. And so. <clears throat> So now from verses 1 to 3, he's, he's talking about judgment to, uh, regarding idolatry. And so verse 1 is the sin of the past. Verse 2 is the sin of the present. And then verse 3 is now, uh, for, therefore, the sin of the future. And so the wickedness that began in the past, if it's not dealt with, if it's not repented of, then it influences the present. And if it's not still not uh, repented of, then it influences the future. Why? Because sin is a life in itself. And so when we talk about, for example, uh, the root of the family line, right, the sin of the family line, the family curse, we can't uh, help but treat this seriously because if we don't cut it off by the blood of Jesus Christ, then that current continually flows through the generations. And so when I first met with Jesus Christ and my eyes were open, were open to this current, I fought against the spirit of immorality that went down to my ancestor of uh, a hundred years ago. So... Uh, you know, I had to fight against this familial line over the Kyungju Kim clan. And so without the power of the blood, it's impossible to cut this off. And so the, the, the past and the present sin, if it's left faster, it will continue down to the generations. And so to the children who have the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, they can deal with this. They could deal with the sins in the past, deal with the sins in the present, and so of course dealing with the sins in the future. And so, but Israel was unable to cut that sin off. And so let's begin with verse one. When Ephraim spoke, there was trembling. <clears throat> and so for the past twenty years, uh, since the time of Jeroboam the uh, second, the nation got strong, and because the nation got strong. They, they exerted their power. They exerted their force to the nations around them, especially to southern Judah during the time of Ahaz, uh, during the warfare against Ephraim and Syria. Right, Even though they were brothers, they were fighting one another, trying to, uh, Ephraim was trying to take from Judah. <clears throat> and so this is the image of those who live for strength, who live for power. Whether nationally or individually, if you are strong, you try to oppress the weaker. And if you are weak, you, you, you grovel at the feet of the, of the stronger one. And you think that, is, is, it, is there any exception? No, there is no exception. But the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is, for the, is the kingdom of the little guy. The kingdom that serves. The kingdom that builds one another up. But to Babylon, which worships power, they cannot do so. It's all about pillaging and taking. Taking who's weaker than you. And if you are if you are weak, you gotta grovel. <clears throat> and so so Hosea is talking about these kingdoms, that, that these kingdoms are nations that 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 God cannot rejoice in. Because he cannot do anything for them because why? 
because their essence in itself, the beginning, the source of them is evil in itself. Look at Russia. Look at Ukraine. Why are they fighting? <clears throat> they are all fighting because because of power, right? <clears throat> and this is the terrifying thing. And so in Babylon, the reason why God loves the little guy, there are many reasons for this, but, but who are the little guys? The little guys are the ones who are afflicted by the system of Babylon. They're not poor because they want to be poor, not because they worked hard, but because if they don't enter into the Babylonian system, if they don't submit to the Babylonian system, they become victims, right? And so that's why we need to live as the little guy. And as children of God, when it says we are little guy, we are not just simply being little guy powerless, but we are giving our, uh, our fate to God. We are entrusting our lives to God, and He is our, our master. And so, and so when, as children of God, when we choose to be the little guy, we are entrusting our entire well-being to God. And, that, and in that sense, there's great meaning here. And so that's what it's all about. It's all about being the little guy. It's not about gathering yourself. If, if you gather and possess things, you think you're getting strengthened, but you are not actually getting strengthened. You need to keep giving. Keep letting your riches flow. Keep letting it flow. As I said in Second Corinthians, that's actually one purpose behind offering. Because Babylon says you need to have more so that you can be safe, so that you can be guaranteed. But what is offering is, is you give up on, and you sacrifice on your own and you choose poverty on your own. And through that poverty, God guarantees your life. God watches over you. And that is what offering is all about. And so I've always said this, but, but the world and, and God is not just a little different, but they are complete opposites. If you live by Babylon and you live by the flesh, then it's obvious that you'll be enemies of God. And so, there is nothing in Babylon that can please God. Okay, just as the caterpillar must eat pine leaves, uh, Babylon can only live by eating, by by feeding on wickedness. And so, we need to put our flesh to death and live by the kingdom of heaven. And there are many perspectives regarding this, but but look at Zoe Ministry and look at how we serve uh, the nations all over the world. Because maybe you may think, hey, why not gather this money for ourselves? It would be comfortable for us. And yet we give because we're getting rid of our strength. We're getting rid of our ability to do it on our own and, and submitting everything to God. That God, it is all according to your will. Look at Pastor Cho and his wife. <clears throat> it already is different. Look at how much they relied on me while they were at our church. But now that they're out, they can't rely on me. And so there is this tension, right? There is this tension. And so let's continue. <clears throat> he was exalted in Israel. And so as I said earlier, if he has strength, he is arrogant. If he is weak, he grovels. And so this is the reason why we should not live by Babylon. Because if you live by Babylon, you cannot be exalted before God. If you live by Babylon, 
Your spirit tries to exalt yourself. God cannot exalt you. You exalt yourself, right? That is the arrogance of wickedness, right? And, and, and the symbol of wickedness as described by Habakkuk is arrogance, right? Is, is, is that they exalt themselves. They exalt themselves. Now, of course, they may look humble and it may put on the clothes of hum humility, but it is, it is arrogance. And so... That's why Babylon is about these greed for, for possessions, these greed for security, these greeds for honor, for success. And, and so because of their arrogance, they are ex they've exalt themselves. And of course, he incurred guilt through Baal and died. And so because he exalts himself, he starts to... Uh, he starts to deify his own desires. And so what is idolatry? Idolatry isn't just simply worshiping a statue. It's not, it's not talking about this kind of organized religion. No, idolatry is talking about the deification of your des desires, the deification of the self that's within you. And so that's why you don't acknowledge people, and that's why you need to uh, cut everything down to establish yourself. That's what deification is. And so when you follow the world, when you follow the flesh, you will follow the world. When you follow the world, you will exalt yourself, and when you exalt yourself, you will serve Baal. Not serving Baal like as in the organized religious sense, but serving Baal as as a deification of your desires. And this is the principle of things. This is the order that 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 there is no exception. And so not only to yourself, but this is something that you need to teach to your church members as well, that they can reject the world and, and make them understand that the world is the complete opposite from, from God. And so people, uh, your church members should have this conflict within them that should I quit my job then? Should I, should I um, 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 seclude myself? Should I cut myself off from the world? Right? They they need to go through that conflict, but don't leave them. Don't leave them to think that oh, because I'm in the world, I can offer, and that that I am I am bringing this benefit to the church. No, don't 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 let them even entertain that idea. Okay? There are many people who have who entertain that idea. They they try to. And so if, as a pastor, you constantly, uh, what's it called, constantly justify, justify going out into the world, then, then that's what they're going to think. That's what they're going to think. They think that uh, because I am in the world, I am providing money to the church, and because I am providing money to the church, I am employing the pastor, right? That the pastor is my employee. Are you employed? Are you, are you employed to Yongguang Church? Okay, where's the elder for this church? And she's in the kitchen. You gotta ask her. You gotta ask her, not ask the pastor. Okay, we are not a relationship of employee and employer. But pastors, if you leave even just a little hint of of meaning into the world of existence in the world then the church members, eventually, they're going to receive that, that impetus, thinking that, that living in the Babylon is, is what's giving benefit to the church. And so you need to not even allow a hint of that, that you are just simply in the world because God is, is allowing you to, and, and, and God wants you to live. That's it. And that at any time that you can separate from the world, at any time you can quit the job. And so many times, young adults come to me, 
and ask me, like, should I quit my job? Then 99% of the time I'll say, I won't, even, I won't even think about it. Just quit. Quit your job. I always say, you know, it's not as if you're earning like millions and millions and millions of dollars. If you can't even, if you don't even have an annual salary of, of $10 million, then, then why give your life for that job? And so it doesn't matter who it is in my church, even a businessman, I do not, I do not uh, justify any, 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 I do not uh, put any significance in the world, in the world. I do not even allow any kind of uh, significance to, to church members living in the, in the world, in their jobs, as if like, you know, because, because of their job, the church is where it is. No, no, there is no. And so as I always say, look in the Bible, the Bible, God did not create you to earn money. Now, of course, there are callings to earn money. But just because, let's say that you don't earn money, does that mean God's not going to give the money to the church? No, no. The money, the money does not come from your church members. Money comes from God. Your provision comes from God. So do not give any significance to the world. Do not give any insignificance to any work in the world. And so as they hear your sermons, they should continually be conflicted. Should I quit my job or not? Should I leave the world or not? Be conflicted. That, that's what's important, that they have no significance in the world at all. And so I always say to my young adults, ultimately what needs to happen is, is that you need to be strangers to the world. That that with the world, you need no relationship except for the relationship of salvation, of bringing salvation to them. And ultimately, this is what happens. Uh, whether it happens right away or later down, it doesn't matter. But ultimately, the end result is that they need to be strangers to the world. And so as pastors, that's actually your blessing, right? Because you are strangers to the world. You are already strangers to the world. If you are not strangers to the world, then, then that is trouble as a pastor, right? Okay. Okay. No one, no one in the world thinks that they're going to benefit from you, right? But, but the only kind of relationship we need to have to the world is, is for their souls, for their souls. But apart from that, there should be no. It should not be mutual. And so, whenever someone comes to our church for the first time, I don't ask them what they do. I don't care about their job. I ask them about how long they've been attending church. This is really important, pastors. From your lips, many times, you, whether uh, consciously or not, you're constantly justifying them going out into the world. You're constantly putting significance on them going out into the world and earning money. But, but you need to be aware of that and constantly uh, be wary of it. Go against it and make sure that they are constantly, that they are constantly conflicted even even schooling schooling is the same thing okay there there should be no significance in their education there is no significance in their work okay uh, apart from any significance that god gives and so is this a burdensome word to receive I, i'm saying this to be burdened and 
Really, this, it, this, this, you should have this conflict because the Holy Spirit is not just going to leave you alone to live in the world. To those people, it's as if they're holding on to dynamite and, and, and living next to fire. And so, so we need to always be sensitive to Babylon. We need to always be, be, be sensitive. And so they shouldn't just be comfortable coming to Sunday service You know, of course they're going to receive comfort from God and receive grace. But at the same time, there, there, there needs to be a burden, right? Because they're going back into the world. They need to have this, this, this warning towards the world. They need to have this kind of um, suspicion towards the world. Uh, suspicion is not the word I'm looking for. But, you know, like this, this conflict, suspicion, kangye, um, like this, uh, this um, anyways, Verse 2. And so now it's the present. And now they sin more and more. And so even now they're still sinning. It should have gotten better, but it's getting worse. The more they, they have worship, the more they're getting worse. The more they offer to God, they should be made holy. But instead of getting holy, sin increases more and more. As you said earlier, and make for themselves metal images. So God gives them abundance, but instead of using that abundance and glorifying God, they take that abundance and deify their own, they deify their own desires, worship their desires. And so when God gives so you something, it's so that you can bless others and bless God, but instead of blessing others, you start to worship and strengthen your own desire, strengthen yourself. And then so, and then idols skillfully made of their silver. And so what, what is this talking about? In order to exalt myself, in order for my gain, I'm doing whatever it takes to do it, to, to, to benefit myself. And this is the essence of the flesh. If you live by the flesh, it's all self-centeredness. You are so selfish. And everything, every method available to you, you will use to exalt yourself, to make your life better, to make your life more comfortable. And so this is the order of things. And that's what you need to understand, that there is no exception. And so uh, all of them made the work of a craftsman. And so this is not a god. It's all made with the hands of man. And so how foolish is it to deify these things, to put divinity, to ascribe divinity to these things that is just simply the personifications of your desires. And so whatever it is, if you are meeting with God properly, then this person will not personify inanimate things. But, if you do not pour your everything to serving God, then that strength, that strength will eventually be poured out to inanimate objects. And that's why I don't encourage people to raise dogs in our church. Because if you serve God perfectly, you won't have the freedom to raise a dog, right? There's no time for that. And then also, raising a dog is not an easy thing. There's a lot of things you have to do, right? You have to cut its hair, and that costs $50. I, my haircut is only $10, and yet a dog has to be $50? Does that make sense? And then these days, back in the days, dogs would be fed leftovers but, and scraps. But now they get food that's better than humans. And then not only that, they clothe the dogs. Can you believe it? They clothe the dogs. And these, these clothes for the dogs are $100. Man, I'll, I'll curses just come from my lips. I can't help but curse. 
Going beyond that, there's there's cafes for dogs, there's hotels for for cafes, there's even preschools for dogs, and and so like one building, one entire building is all for dogs. And so if you do not serve God properly, then automatically man will deify anything. And so when I look at the dogs that are around our neighborhood, I've, I haven't seen a single dog without the spirit of immorality in it. All of them have immorality spirit within them. That's how scary it is that peop- when people raise dogs. This is who you are as a man because you're created in the image of God. You can pour your humanity into things that are not human. And so what that and so what does this become? This becomes a thorn that stabs at the sides of man. And so and so and uh, and so those who offer human sacrifice kiss calves. And so this is uh, a symbol of worship, right? God alone should be should receive this reverence, but but they are offering reverence to other to idols. Uh, when I went to Rome uh, at the at the Saint Basilica of Saint Peter, there was this statue of Peter, and if you go to that statue, the the right toe has been worn away. There's no right toe there. Why? Because for so many years, people are coming there and kissing, kissing the right toe. How many people, how many times have to kiss that, 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 that toe to, for that toe to be worn away? How much did they kiss that toe that that toe was worn away? And this is what it is. That's what that kissing is. Kissing is the ultimate sign of reverence. And we should not be kissing idols. We should not be kissing our desires, but we should be kissing God. Amen? And so moving on to verse 3. Therefore, so now it's regarding the future. Therefore, they shall be like the morning mist. Or like the dew that goes away early, early away. And so, instantaneously, there will they will be destroyed. It'll, and this is God who is who is swift and to judge, or swift in His wrath. And so, and so, if God says that you are doomed, then that doom is certain; it's coming. And so, they will be like a morning mist, like the dew that goes early away, like the chaff that swirls from the threshing floor. And this is uh, a a phrase that is repeated throughout the Bible for evil, right? That, that they are like chaff that it, the wind takes away. Or like smoke from a window. And so, as we see, Assyria will, will completely annihilate, annihilate um, Assyria. Or Assyria will completely annihilate Israel. And so, remember, God loves us, but if I turn away from God and I rebel against God, then His judgment, His judgment is severe and swift. And that is why there is the fear of the Lord. Of course, it is clear that God is a God of love, but He, it, but that love has significance to you when you are in that relationship of holiness and, and, and perfection. But, not, but when that holiness is not there, then, then obviously God is a fearful God. And so now chapter 4 or verse 4 to, to 8. 
he is showing God in the, as, as a beast before Israel. So verse 4 and 5, God is describing who he is. And then verse 6, he accuses them of their sin. And 7 and 8, now he lays his judgment. So let's look at this. Verse 4, he's speaking about who he is. He's declaring who he is. That who am I ever since the time of Egypt? I am the Lord your God. And then in verse 5, he tells who he is in the wilderness. And then verse 6, he talks about what they've done to that God. And so verse 4, but I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. So when he saved them from Egypt, he was not a different being, but even there he was the Lord. I am the Lord your God. Right? And so it has both Yahweh and Elohim. That when God saved Israel, He didn't just save them as Elohim, but He saved them with Yahweh as Yahweh and Elohim. And so there are many verses that are mixed into here, uh, whether it's Exodus or Deuteronomy, also in Isaiah. All of these words are, are kind of combined in this prophecy. But the important thing here is that when God saved Israel, He was Yahweh and Elohim. And so from the perspective of theology, God is Yahweh and He is also Elohim. That both of these characteristics are satisfied in Him. And that these two names are not two separate things, but it's one. So they cannot be separate. And so as we see later on, this Elohim is words that they can use to, uh, to idols even. Because even, even Baal can be an Elohim. Asherah can be an Elohim. And so if you say just Elohim, then that cannot, just be, that cannot be God. Because, all, uh, because Elohim is the word gods with the little g. But, and so it must be Yahweh and Elohim. And so, even, and so this is really important in understanding who He is, and it's also important in, in, in regards to your relationship to Him. So who is Yahweh? Yahweh is, I am who I am. He exists of His own. He is independent of all things. And this God, who is Yahweh, I am who I am, who is He? He is Almighty God. He is Elohim. But if we only look to El Elohim, then if anyone can bless me, then I'm willing to pour out my reverence to him. That's the danger of only, of only having the concept of Elohim. And that's why it's dangerous to have hurts towards your father. Because if that wound is deep, it's hard to receive Yahweh God. It's hard to receive that, 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 that deep love. And so if you do not know the love of God, it's affected by your relationship. If you don't receive the love of God, you cannot receive Him as your Father. And if He's just the man next door, then, he, then His promises have nothing to do with you. So, 
So who can bless you and who can be beneficial to you? It's when he is my father. And, and so this is the danger. This is the uh, this is the folk, uh, this is the source of Israel's corruption. And so I am Yahweh and your Elohim. Ever since the land of Egypt, you know no God but me. And so this word God here is the word Elohim, right? You know no God but me. Don't know any other Elohim but me. Of course, there is no other Elohim. But even if there is, He is not God. But if you live by Babylon, you keep deifying the self. And so you serve so many other Elohims. Money is your God. Right? Look at the church these days. Who is God over the church these days? It is, it is money. And so the reason why your life becomes so troublesome is because you are not living with God alone. But rather, you are serving so many different gods. And so you, you have to serve people. You have to serve money. You have to serve circumstances. You have to serve all of these things. When, when God alone is Elohim, then actually you become simple. But when you cannot serve God alone, you have to serve all these different things. And this isn't a theory. This is, this is practical truth. Remember, Yahweh Elohim, this is, this is a compound name. It isn't separate. It is, it is one, and, and that's who we serve, right? And that's the problem with the church in these days. Not just these days, but, but throughout history. I mean, look at, look, at the, look at the problem with the Catholic church. This is what it is from their theological perspective. Their the, or the, pro, the theological perspective of their problem is that they just serve God as Elohim, and so they confine Him to His throne. They confine Him to heaven, and everything else is is up to them. And so, it's their kingdom, but 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 with but in lip service to God. And so, the, this is the problem, theologically speaking, of the Catholic Church. What else? that uh, and beside me there is no Savior oh no this isn't of course right only he, our God can receive the name Yahweh and Elohim and only he can be our Savior and only he can give and only he can take and so if you don't receive this in faith that ultimately you think many things could be your Savior that money can save you that that person can save you, that this thing in the world can save you. And so you cannot, you do not uh, objectify God and you've put relative strengths, relative power. Uh, this person, uh, this money, uh, this person has good specs and he could be a gain to me. I need this person. So you keep putting significance in other things. Only God alone can save them, and God alone has any significance. And so no matter what circumstances, God is the only one who is mighty to save, and that's how we need to live. If this is not what, how you treat it, then that is dangerous, even for a moment. Oh, money? No, 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 no. And so from the perspective of prayer, it's because you have this perspective that your prayer relies fully upon God, that you are completely um, clinging to God. 
that, that you do not compromise with this, that without God, I cannot survive. God is my only Savior. You need to save me. And so when you don't believe this, you do not have that desperation. And it's because your flesh, whether you're aware of it or not, are putting other Elohims in you. And so 30 years ago when I started my pastoral ministry, I said to the pastors, pastors, don't idolize power. Don't idolize uh, Holy Spirit's power, right? Many people during that time said that pastors need the power of the Holy Spirit. No. You understand what I mean by power, right? Like, like so, the whole, anyways. That's what I'm trying to talk about here. And yet you still need power, right? Are you sure that's amen? No, no, you don't need power. It's not power that you need. It's, it's proper relationship with Him, and His power will manifest into you. And so you don't need to say from your lips that I need power. Okay? There are times where I ask for power, but not because I put importance on that power, not because I put significance on that power, but rather because that manifestation of that power is evidence that I am in God's dominion, that it is evidence that, that those miracles is, 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 is evidence that God's dominion is over me. If that, if that doesn't manifest, then th that means that's a sign that there is a problem with me. And so, right, look at Acts. What did, P what did Peter say? Let the, let the signs of the word be revealed, right? And so what are the signs? The signs is not what's important. The signs in itself is not what's important. Okay, it's a mirage if you're just only looking at just Elohim without the Yahweh. They need to go hand in hand. And so in your mind, there are many people who have sealed this, that, oh, I need signs. I need signs, right? Because the pastors before you, the pastors who came before you, that's what they emphasized, that you need charisma. You need, you need signs and miracles from the Holy Spirit. That's not true charisma. Charisma is when you objectify the Word of God and His power is made manifest in you. So if you do not objectify the Word of God, if you do not make it absolute, and you're seeking charisma, then that charisma becomes an idol to you. Science is just God's kingdom being made manifest. It's being revealed to you. And so, and so do not think about Elohim without Yahweh, okay? They need to go hand in hand. So let's continue. Verse 5. What does it say in verse 5? And so look, and so to the pastors, as you do your seminary schooling and, and the information you receive from the pastors before you, you need to understand that this was the chip implanted by the great prostitute. And that's scary, isn't it? It's terrifying that these chips for the past 20 years are what I've been trying to remove, remove and break down through the Word of God. And so as I met with God, 30 years ago as I received this truth in that truth I was continually growing and and I started Zoe ministry at 42 and what was amazing at that time was that that many of these pastors uh, received a different word and the first person I saw this was in my wife and so seminaries is not true Christianity and so at 42 years ago that was my confession when I began Zoe ministry and so 
what I found there is is this chip, this 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 current that flowed from the beginning of, of the of of the Catholic Church. Now, of course, I, I, God called me in order to start this second great awakening and, and, and reformation in a sense. But I saw that at that time, that, oh, seminary schools are not Christian. Seminary schools don't look only at the Bible, right? Seminary and the Bible should not be separate, right? Because what is... What is envy? Envy, can you separate seminary from spirituality? You cannot. It's because the Word of God is, says this, and so seminary says this. But in this day, they don't look at the Bible first, but rather they look at the principle and, and, uh, of, of, their, of their denomination first. This is the wrong way to look at things, right? And yet that's what, that's what seminaries teach. Uh, that because the word says this, then what does scholarship say? But seminary says scholarship says this, and so how does the word prove that scholarship? And so in that current, when pastors prepare the sermon, they look for what, what the traditions say, what other pastors say. That's what's important to them. But what the Bible says, what God says, is not important to them. But to those who, who put em emphasis on what God says, the most important thing is the text. The text. What does the 66 books of the Bible say? And, so, and also the Bible, not looking at just a portion of it, but looking at entire, entirety of the Bible, looking at its entirety. That's how God trained me. And so through that, through the word, I receive revelation because I see the entirety. The, and so I am, not, I am not tied and bound to seminary, but I'm tied and bound to the word of God. I don't care what, what the traditions say. I care about what the Bible says. And so, this, so even in this word Elohim Yahweh, you need to understand that, that, that the Catholic Church from ages of past separated these two identities of God. And so for the most part in the church, because of this separation, there is this separation seen in other things like the money or the word is separate and the, the, the fellowship is different. The Holy Spirit is separate and, and your life is separate. The Bible is about integration. It's all integration. When Jesus moves, the Holy Spirit moves. But, but the church these days is all compartmentalized. That if the word, if the sermons are deep and, and profound, then there's no work of the Holy Spirit. If there's holy work of the Spirit, there's no, there's no deep and profound sermons. And so, in Zoe ministry, remember, the reason why uh, there's both, everything is there, is because this is the essence of the church. And so, it's really important, pastors, to get rid of this chip. This is really important, getting rid of this chip. And it's important to recognize this. And so, this is the reason why the miracles are limited in your life. 
because you are turned away from Yahweh and you think Elohim is going to work powerfully? No. That, that if Elohim works powerfully, it's all about your relationship with Yahweh. And so if you are separate from one, then you're separated from all. You cannot just say the word alone or like only the sermon, not the word. Only the sermon. No. You cannot say only the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's these Korean trends, right? Where, where, where like there's churches that say that have good sermons, but no work of the Holy Spirit. And then there's churches that have work of the Holy Spirit, but the sermons are very empty. So if I want to have a healthy stomach, it's not just my stomach that's healthy, but my heart needs to be healthy. My kidneys need to be healthy. My, my liver needs to be healthy. All of these needs to function together as a whole. Then my stomach can be considered healthy, right? And so you cannot separate and compartmentalize these things. But the day and age is compartmentalizing everything. So moving on, verse 5. It was I who knew you in the wilderness. And so now he led them to the wilderness. And Israel was met with God in the wilderness. And the man of God meets with or man of God meets with God in the wilderness. And so the church needs to be a wilderness. That within the city of religion, Jerusalem, you do not meet with God. It's in the wilderness, following after the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire. That if you do not stay together as a group, you know, being bitten by scorpions and taken by the beast. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> the church needs to be in the wilderness. That if anyone uh, goes off on their own, they will get taken by wilderness. That wilderness will take them, right? That's, that's what the church needs to be. The church needs to be needs to be the wilderness, right? And so, you know, only going, following after the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. That that's all you can, that's what you have to keep fixing your eyes upon and falling there. Okay. So the wilderness, wilderness is important. So, whether it's the wilderness or not, as long as we have God, we will survive. Amen. And that's what does it say in verse 5? It was I who knew you in the wilderness. And so now that they're in the wilderness, Israel's losing their slave mindset. And so, of course, we need to know God, but God also knows us. And so when we come to know God, He's knowing or, you're, or when God comes to know you, He knows the good things of you, but also knows the wickedness inside of you. That's actually our hope, because God is our healer. He is Yahweh, Jehovah Rapa, right? He is God, our healer. And so it's actually hope that He knows our wickedness, that He comes to know more of our wickedness, because as He shows, as He comes to know, He shows it to us, and He can become our healer. He heals us. Amen. And so that's why we need to have a right spirit before God. So God continually knows us and we know Him. We learn of Him and He learns of us. 
And so this is amazing wonder, isn't it? This is wonder that he, he is omniscient God, which means he knows all things, and yet he chooses not to know, as it says in Psalms 119, that God wants to, that God comes to, to know me, that God comes to know me. The, and so I, my expression is this, is that he gave up his omniscience to love me. So let's say Shinon came to me and asked for forgiveness and revealed some wickedness of him. I would be like, oh man, I'm going to have suspicions of him from now on. But that's not God. God gives up on his omniscience. In order to love me, in order to forgive me, he closes the future. But us, we, have, we live on our experiences. That, oh, he, he betrayed me in the past. So he's probably going to, if the opportunity arises again, he's going to betray me again. That's not how we should be because that's not how God is towards us. And yet human nature tends to suspect, right? And so if you love, you will not be afraid, you will not be afraid of treachery. You will not be afraid of betrayal. If there's true love, you will not be afraid. And so, look, you know well, uh, my associate pastors, look at my back. Look at how many uh, air wounds I have. There's so many daggers in my back. And yet, I'm not afraid to raise up new pastors. I'm not afraid to be stabbed in the back. I still, I still um, give my everything to raise up next generation of pastors. Because I'm not afraid of betrayal. That doesn't mean that I don't feel the betrayal. Of course, that betrayal hurts. But I don't put my emphasis there. Because when you love, you know that you you know that there is going to be pain. And when you are a leader, there will be suffering. There will be pain. And so, and so when you are afraid of those things, it's because of your own hurts and wounds. It's because of your wounds that you are afraid of such things. And so let's say a thousand were came to me. Do I, do I expect all a thousand to follow after me and to come with me on the day of, 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 of God's kingdom? No, it can't be because their callings is different. So you should not be afraid of people leaving you. You are not living for humanism. You are not living for human relationships, okay? You just need to yearn for God's kingdom to be made perfect inside of you. There was a time where I was afraid that people are going to flee, flee me, flee from me. But, but, but I've, through prayer and through constant uh, tilling of my soil, I realized that that's not what's important. It's about just giving, yearning for God and giving what God gives. And whether they receive or not is up to them. It's not my responsibility. I cannot do anything about that. I cannot control whether they accept it or not. All I do is proclaim the truth so that I will not incur any uh, blood guilt, right? I will not be guilty for his blood. So verse 6, 
so God accuses them. But when they had grace, they became full. So because they lived by their flesh, they lived by themselves, when God fed them, instead of being humble and receiving God's gift and coming closer to God and using it to serve others, they became full. And what did they do? They, became, they were lifted up. They were, they were, their heart was lifted up. This is arrogance, right? If you have, you are, you are proud. If you don't, you are, you grovel, right? No, um, that's not the image of people of God. When you have, you are humble, and when you don't have, you are confident. Okay, many people think that when they don't have money, they don't have anything. No, you simply just don't have money. That's all that means. You have everything else. You just simply don't have money. You have a good-looking face. You have a beautiful wife. You have a, a lovely children. You have a house to live in. And though, you know, your family doesn't count to m- amount to much, but you have a family, the only thing you don't have is money. And then many people think that if they have money, they have everything. You have everything. You just simply have not gotten married. That's it. You were, you're good at your bike. You even have this awesome uniform when you ride the bike. Okay, all the girls, watch out because when you see what he wears, you're going to fall for him right away. He has everything. He has everything. He just simply has not gotten married. So you do not need to cower because because of your lack of marriage, right? You even have a good brain, right? And though you can't say that you're good-looking, but, but not bad, not bad, right? So there's no reason for you to shrivel away, right? So whether you have, you are humble, and when you don't have, you are confident. That's what it is, means to live with God. So this is the pattern of Israel all the time. When they receive, they're proud. When they lose, they are they grovel, and so they grovel to God. And so this evil cycle continually goes. Then after 10 years, you become a rag. You're used up like a rag. And so hurry, let's get rid of that flesh and enter into the Sabbath rest in this regard so that we can grow. If we just constantly let this cycle, then we just become a useless rag. We want to cut off this evil cycle. Okay, From the beginning of your spirituality, there are many times where we take the wrong step forward. And so we need to hurry up and get rid of this so that in this aspect that, that I would be blameless before God. But if you do not deal with this, God cannot entrust you. That's why do you think... God uh, had them wander in the wilderness because of their their slave mindset. God cannot trust them, right? Because who is Israel? Israel has, has the glory of the kingdom of heaven. God has entrusted His glory to them. And so God needs to trust them, right? God needs to trust them because God has glory and He entrusts this glory to Israel. So He's not just going to be like, oh, do whatever you want. No. Who does He entrust the glory to? He entrusts the glory to the crown prince, right? And that crown prince is not just going to be given to any prince, right? It's going to be given to the one that the king can trust. (laughs) 
And so it's when that crown prince is worthy of that, of that, that that kingdom expands, right? When they are not worthy of it, that kingdom rots. And so, pastors, as pastors, God calls you to that pastoral ministry, right? And so, He gives you this time, this process to be trustworthy. But if you lose that trust... and you fail in that trust, then you're constantly going to be going through that cycle of, uh, of, being, of being disciplined. And remember, when God puts you through this discipline, He never gives you more than you can bear, right? And, and when He gives you this discipline, He also gives you the grace to, to go through it. And so the important thing is to face it with that confidence. Don't allow that evil cycle that, oh, if I, when I have, I'm proud, I'm confident, and when I don't have, I grovel and, I, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm pathetic. No, that's not the case. You need to entrust God, entrust God and, and face towards God and let that cycle, let that process of that discipline go through you because when you don't, that's when you end up becoming a rag. So the moment you believed in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit came into you and started doing this. But many times we failed to follow after that. But now let's continue, let's head in that direction. And, and, and so ultimately, if when, if when we don't go through that discipline, when we have these faults inside of us, Babylon will come and take away uh, the blessings of God, take away the things of God. And so if you have a fault here, even if God were to give you riches, instead of looking towards God, you will look to the world. And only when you suffer will you look to God. And, and so remember that flesh, flesh is turning away from God. It's forsaking God. When you choose the flesh, you are forsaking God. And that's the truth that you need to understand. And so what happens in verse 7? So, of course, God judges them. And so here is the judgment. So, I am to them like a lion. He is supposed to be their shepherd, a good shepherd, but instead he becomes a lion to that sheep. So, so of course, it doesn't say in these words, but God is a beast, right? And so, really, when you flee from God, there is no benefit to that, right? God becomes a lion. God becomes a beast against you. verse 8 I will fall upon them like a bear robbed of her cubs it's scary meeting a bear in itself right but a bear robbed of her cubs how much more terrifying is that right I will tear open their breast and there I will devour them like a lion right And so like a bear robbed of her cubs and like a lioness, right? So the, how terrifying is that? And so, now moving on. Verse 9 to verse 11 is judgment against the kings. Judgment against the kingdom, right? And so, verse 9 to 11. He destroys you, O Israel, for you are against me, against your helper. Look at this amazing proposition of truth here. 
I put a lot of importance on these kinds of propositions. So if you rebel against God, you will be destroyed. God is supposed to be your helper, but if you rebel against Him, then it is the principle that you will be destroyed. And so these kinds of propositions in your preaching is really important. God helps is my helper. He is my savior. He is my life. And He alone is the only way. He is the only one who can give me true happiness. And so we should not receive anything else. Israel should not attempt to receive from anything else. Should not be be pleased with the world. And so if you are Israel, then you have this absolute relationship, objective relationship with God. That He alone can give me. He alone can make me. He alone can save me. And so who is Israel? That's why they only wear white and black. Why? Because this is their expression that they are going to live by God alone. Now, of course, that is an expression of repentance. But it's saying that, saying that they are separate from the world. And so all the words of, of, uh, of the law, what is the focus? Is to be sanctified, to be set apart from the world. That is God's will for Israel. And through that, Israel enters into glorification. And so in your preaching, these truth propositions need to clearly paint the boundaries for your church members. It's really important to put clear boundaries. If this boundary is not clear, then people will start to be conflicted between God and the world. And they will put significance and justify mixing with the world. And so to the young adults, I said for a while like this, like they would ask me, Pastor, what is my vision? This is not a good question, actually. No, God alone should be your vision. And if God alone is your vision, you won't even ask this question. But it's because they're constantly trying to appeal to this worldly need. They're asking me, what is my vision? And I'll say to them, (laughs) your vision is me. (laughs) Okay, but, okay. If you live with God, you don't need a separate vision. God will give you that vision, right? And so it's about living with God. So regarding this, the Holy Spirit and the Word cannot be separate. You cannot separate the Holy Spirit from the Word. If they are separate, then you need to be suspicious because something is wrong. Why? Because if you flee from God, who is my helper, then I will be destroyed. This is the order of things. This is the principle thing. And so do not give even the hint that the church, to the church, that they can flee from God and be happy. No, there is no hint of that. He alone is my helper. He alone is my savior. He alone is my everything. And this is the truth. This is the truth. And if anything goes against that truth, God did not allow it. That means something is wrong, right? And so do not, do not compromise with this even any bit. Okay, you need to have this absolute relationship with God. That, and because you are Israel, this is the church. It's really important to receive this. 
And so these propositions are really important. So verse 10. Where now is your king to save you in all your cities? And so you could say that this is judgment of Saul because Israel asked for Saul, right? Asked for a king because they failed to believe that God alone is their king. And so they sought after a king to save them. And now this king is no longer there to save them. And so remember, God needs to be objective, absolute in your church. And so when you fail to acknowledge him as king, it's because you yourself are becoming king. You are mixing yourself. And so you are the king. You are the king. And so I said to our, to our young mothers at our church for a while that your children have become kings over you. And so, so when those kings see me, they're scared of me. Why? Because they thought that they were the king, but there's another king. They won't come to me. They won't even come draw near to me. That's dangerous if you treat your children as kings. God alone is king, but, but when God is not king over the church, what's going to happen in the church? Everyone is their own king. And that's why they blame the pastor. That's why they judge the pastor. Right? But God alone should be king over the church. And that's actually the reason why so many churches have this civil war within them because there's too many kings. Pastor y o n g u n Lee, you're going to be head pastor next year. So what do you need to do? If there are false kings, if there are pretenders in your church, cut them at the neck. Okay? I, I don't think that there are any pretenders there, but if there is any case, right? Who knows? Who knows? The, right? When the, when the previous king steps down, and the next king comes up, that's when pretenders can show, rear their ugly head. Right? And so where are all your rulers? Those of whom you said, give me a king and princes. And so these kings cannot save Israel in their time of need. Only God alone is my savior. If money is your king, if someone is your king, When hardship comes, they will not be able to save you. And so God alone must be your Savior. God alone must be your King. So, when I first started my church, you know, um, my wife was not on the same page with me. And so she was really... Um, she was really wor- emphasized her relationship with the church members. But I was, the, the, I did not emphasize that relationship. And that was actually the first thing that God took away from us because of this humanistic love. That's ma- and because you have this humanistic love and you serve them, you made them kings over the church. And so I could not do this church. And so that's why I shut the doors down that first time. Remember, God alone is our Savior. There can be no other. There can be no other. So if you want to be a true leader, you need to truly lead them to the true King who is God. And and that means you first need to believe that. And you first need to follow that. And so, so the words that you proclaim from the altar needs to be absolute, needs to be objective. 
But if you become king, then you start to, you start to uh, make this relative. And so as pastors, be careful. Be careful with what you say. You need to make sure to receive the revelation from God and not compromise with that revelation to, 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 to give just as God has given. So let's continue. What verse? Verse 11. I gave you a king in my anger, and I took him away in my wrath. And so when they asked for a king, God didn't, wasn't pleased to give, but he gave in his anger. And so when God answers, is God truly pleased to answer your prayer? You need to check that. For the most part, he do, that it is the case. But there are every now and then where he gives in his anger, right? Give us meat. And so he gives so much quail that, that it burns in their stomach. And so if you keep, don't try to manipulate God for your desires. These kinds of prayers are dangerous. And so I don't, you don't need to discern to like separate discern these different prayers no just pray in god that's what's important seek in the will of god if you do not seek in the will of god then what are you seeking you are seeking in your own flesh and so if you are in the holy spirit you will not pray that way and so and i took him away in my wrath because God didn't want to give, he takes away. Verse 12. The iniquity of Ephraim is bound up. His sin is kept in store. So it sounds like a good thing, but it's not. Iniquity. Iniquity should have been washed away, should have been repented of, but instead it's as if it's being bound up and stored like a harvest. Right? Because our sin, apart from the blood of Jesus Christ, cannot be erased. They, it will be there forever um, without the blood of Jesus. As, it, as we see in Revelations 4, who can unseal this seal? No one can. No one can except the Lamb, except Messiah, who is, except Jesus who is the Messiah. If not, then all this iniquity is stored up and stored up His sin is kept in store. And so they are continually being stored up. Let's say that um, let's say that the waste of human waste is stored up in your house. How smelly, how dirty would it be? But in that sense, sin is kept in store, right? Without the blood of Jesus Christ. And that is the image of man, that you are living in that filth, storing up that filth. So we need to be sensitive to, 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 to sin. We need to be wary of sin and truly be on guard. If you find yourself relaxed towards sin, that means that there's something wrong inside of you. So let's continue verse 13. The pangs of childbirth come for him. And so, so it's time for the child to be born, right? And so these, these, these pangs are starting, and yet he is an unwise son. Why is he unwise? Because at the right time, he does not present himself. And so, so you know, the time has come, but the baby doesn't want to come out. 
And so if the baby comes out late, then hit, beat that baby and say, unwise son, unwise son. Because if the son doesn't come out at the right time, not only does the mother die, but the baby dies too. He needs to come out, but because he doesn't come out, the mother dies and the son dies as well. Now, of course, in these days and age, you know, they can just, you know, cut open the stomach and, and have a cesarean section. But in the old days, right, even during my grandmother's time, there were many women who would die in childbirth, right? Because childbirth, bearing a child was not easy. Rarely do people die in childbirth anymore, right? But even just 50 years ago, it was common. And so, this is 2,700 years ago. And so, so, how real would this parable be to the people who read it at that time? This pain and this torture of bearing child. And so when the son doesn't come at the right time, the, 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 the pain of losing not only the child, but also the mother. And so there's no reason for us to have this relationship before God, right? Because God is good, right? God is our father, our good, good father, right? Just thinking about him fills, puts a smile on our hearts, right? And why, then why forsake him? Because of your flesh, because of Babylon. How good is God? And yet you forsake him. Why? Because you're looking to the world. But good, right? Our father is good. So moving on to verse 14. So, from, so this is continuing the message of judgment. But in verse 14, we should think that it's judgment. And verse 15 and 16 is also judgment, right? We saw 11, 12, 13 is judgment. So everything looks like it's in the current of a, being a judgment, right? But let's look at verse 14. Because verse 14, is it really judgment? Or is it something else, right? That's what we want to examine in verse 14. I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. I shall redeem them from death. Oh, death, where are your plagues? Oh, Sheol, where is your sting? Compassion is hidden from my eyes. And so, and so the Korean translation makes it look as if it's not judgment. But according to the current that's going on, the flow here, there's judgment in verses 12 and 13. And so it seems as if it's continuing in that judgment, right? Uh, so many people are using, uh, interpret this as 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 uh, as as literary literary um, irony. That, so many scholars interpret this as rhetorical irony, right? And it makes sense. It makes sense to be irony. Because it, it should be judgment, right? And 
when it comes to Hebrew, right, irony is not is up to interpretation, right? And so it depends on how the person interprets it. That that that's how irony is expressed in Hebrew. And so. What is it saying? I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol? It's saying that there's no one to ransom them from the power of Sheol. No one will redeem them from death. And death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, where is your sting? Compassion is hidden from my eyes. But the problem is that Paul uses a portion of this and interprets it positively. Where in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 55. And so... Uh, the great apostle Paul prophes- or used this in a positive light, and so we cannot say that this is just judgment, right? And so why did Paul interpret this positively? Because Paul knows the prophetic method used. And so though this flow is judgment, but when prophets see a vision and they prophesy, As they're expressing judgment, they're also expressing salvation. Even though they are going, declaring judgment, in the midst of that judgment, there is God's hope for redemption. And so that's what Paul is saying. And so that's how he uses this in in 1 Corinthians 15.55. And so he interprets this in a positive way. Right? Right, verse 15:55. What does it say? Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? This is what's being used. This is what's being alluded to. And so that's how important Hosea is. Hosea is used in by many apostles in in in, in the New Testament. And so then, then so then, ransom, ransom, right? Is 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 is. is paying the slave price to set him free, right? Giving him salvation and freedom. And so through Jesus Christ, Israel is being prophesied, or Jesus is being prophesied as the Savior of Israel. That I shall redeem them, I shall ransom them. And so now there is no death, that that, that, that Shulk has no longer a sting. And so to God, God is giving compassion. And so this is how God, or Paul, uh, interpret this in a positive way. And so we can also see this positive light and say that this is judgment, but at the same time it's also redemption. And it's not just Hosea, but pro- even Isaiah does the same thing, right? Where, th- where you could see the same prophecy, and in that same prophecy, there's both judgment and redemption. And so Paul is seeing also the positive things. And so here, of course, the first proposition is, is good, but the second proposition is better, right? Because we, we like redemption more than judgment, right? And so through Jesus, this prophecy has been solved. Amen. That's, that we have been re- ransomed from Shoal and redeemed from death. And 
And so here, like, right, in the ESV, it says, I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. And this is that, that positive light. But another way to interpret this, as it says in the footnote, is, shall I ransom them from the power of Sheol? Shall I redeem them from death? And so it's both judgment and redemption. It could be interpreted. And then so verse 15 and 16. So now he finishes this judgment. And so we're almost finished with the, with the sermon. And so we're ending early today. Early? Yeah, early. Because we need to pray. Because usually we end around 1, and now now we're ending around 12.30, which will still be around 1, but it's okay. <laughs> I'm talking to my list, my audience, speaking to them. They're not my audience, actually. They are his audience, but I'm speaking to them. It's okay, right? It's okay? Do you say it's okay? Okay, so if he tells me it's a problem, I'm going to blame you. <laughs> and many people who live by the flesh, what they tend to do is that they listen to what they want to hear. And so because they listen to what they want to hear, it's important that you do not even hint at at compromise because if you hint at compromise they're going to hold on to that thing and they're going to use that to justify it by saying that the pastor said it's okay i've i've fell for this trap so many times and so pastors it's really important that you do not give that hint of compromise do not allow even a hint do not officially even open the possibility that 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 you can go hand in hand with the world that the money that you make in the world, that that money is not what's allowing this church to survive. As I said, uh, because they are going to, they're going to grasp at any hint, at any slight hint of, uh, of opportunity and hold on to that, hearing what they want to hear, and they're going to make themselves become king. And, and that's going to grow and grow in the church. And when I was in the Methodist denomination, right, that... That's the reason why many elders would, would argue with the pastors and fight fight with them. And, and, and when pastors would complain about that, I would say to the pastors that this is out of what your actions. It's not, it's not that the, the elders are, are evil, but, but this is all because you opened the doors to this. It's because you opened the doors to this, and that's why. And even in Denver, when the pastors were complaining about their elders, I, I said that, that this was because you opened the doors. You opened the doors. These are all the results of pastors opening those doors. And so the church member is cursed and the pastor is cursed. We need to make God alone king, that he alone is king. Amen. You need to, uh, you need to uh, ingrain that, in, engrave that into your bones. And so let's move on. Verse 15. You may think that I am chidoke. Uh, I am chidoke. That I am. You may think that I am. No. You may think that I am... Ah, none of these words are right. You may think that I am severe, strict, 
but it's not. I'm not. It's not me. It's just that I am not leaving opening. Um, that that I I am. I am wholly devoted to God, and so am I strict? No, it's God. It's all about God. God does not tolerate here. He, he is. He wants to uh, be. Oh man! Oh man! I, I cannot speak English. Sorry, one moment. It's okay to dislike me, but but you got to appreciate that this is God's word. Okay, so we're almost finished, and so though he may flourish among his brothers, and so he's saying that maybe they'll be left, remain with a leftover. But what's going to happen to that is that the east wind, this 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 arid wind, is going to come from the wilderness, rising from the wilderness. The wind of the Lord shall come, and so this. wind of persecution is going to come from God. God is supposed to be our Savior. He's going to be our healer. And He is when we live by Him. The Word should be light, but when we discard it, when we flee from it, then it becomes this arid wind, this east wind. Remember that the Ruach, the wind of God, should be the life-giving wind, but it becomes... It becomes the wind of judgment, the wind of judgment, right? The, we need to receive the ruach, the 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 wind of 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 God that is our light, that is our that is our life. But God is not is not terrible in this way, and yet and yet when we dis, dis, discard Him, He becomes this this terrible east wind. And so that his fountains shall dry up, his spring shall be precious, shall strip his treasury of every precious thing. And so you need to offer this right. Relation, uh, right confession to God, this this true tr- confession to God, that God, I do not want anything apart from you. Make this in my heart. Make a right spirit in me. Renew a right spirit in me. That you alone, you alone. And then verse 16, Samaria shall bear her guilt because she has rebelled against her God. And so Samaria is the focus of northern Israel. It is the capital, the political capital, and the and and so. They shall bear her guilt because she has rebelled against her God. They shall fall by the sword. And so the word should have been their sword, but now this word comes against them. And the word becomes a sword that is pointed at their own heart. The word needs to be light. It needs to be glory. Glory, right? It's all light, light, light to us, but, but it becomes a sword against us. Amen? And so if you live by God, it will be light to you. But when you live by the world, he will, he will come against you as a sword. And so their little ones shall be dashed in pieces and their pregnant women ripped open. And so it's not just their life being taken from them, but their, but their future, their future, their, 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 uh, the, 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 the blessing, the original blessing that God gave to mankind, the riches of the, of the leadership that God blessed man is being taken from them. And so 
so this kingly authority, this kingly authority is what gives us life, but because we, 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 we discard that, we are discarded by God. And so as long as we are not discarding God, so no matter the circumstance you are, as long as you have faith that you are the kingly child, then that, that faith will uphold you. It may take time, and maybe your circumstances will not change. But that faith will uphold you. That faith, as long as I am the child of God and I have this, I have this confidence in who I am, then God will be faithful to that promise. So like Judah, when they were taken to captivity into Babylon, what did God say to Judah? He said that when you know who you are and you hold on to that faith, I will pour out, I will prosper you and multiply you even in Babylon. And so what happens to the point where Daniel becomes uh, the prime minister of Babylon? And so it's about what you believe. Do you believe you are a beggar? Then you will live like a beggar. Do you believe you are a prince? Then you will live like a prince. And who are you? You are the prince. You are the prince of, of the king. And so let us pray. Let us pray. Pray until 1 o'clock and all these... Uh, chips of the great prostitute that have been imparted into me that Lord you will remove those chips that I would not be that if I have been separate if I have separated Yahweh from Elohim that Lord may those things once again come together okay, the world is poison there is nothing good to be gained from the world and so let's have deep fellowship with God at this time that Lord If Elohim has been, if I have separated Elohim from Yahweh, Lord, at this time, may I receive the whole of it, Lord. May all the uh, chips of the immoral, of, of the great prostitute implanted in me, be removed. May they be completely removed by the power of the blood. That Your Word, Your Word, uh, in instinct, it, it would 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 work inside of me as an essence, the essence of the Word. That God alone, You would be my Elohim. You would be my Yahweh. That that there is no other God before You. That you give life and everything comes from you. That, that, that the worldly standard that came inside of me planted doubt inside of me. But Lord, all of these things, all of the strategies of the devil that have been implanted into me, may they be broken down. That I would not be deceived and no matter how many they may be, that 100% that I would now turn back to you as you being alone. May this blessed word take place in my heart. You God who is a jealous God, that Father, you alone would be my everything. You alone would be the one who I love. Let us pray all together in spirit. wants to lay his hands on your servants right now and as I lay my hands father may the anointing this this uh this uh anointing of of this this anointing will come upon them I'm sorry I cannot think of English words right now anyways I'm sorry but we're praying let's pray upon them that 
absolutely that you would be objective to them, that they would not compromise, that they would not be flexible with the truth, but that they would be certain and absolute that on the day that they stand before you, that they would stand before you in your glory. Lord, in this remaining session, Father, come work even more powerfully upon this place. And Lord, we seek even greater glory and seek even greater work of God. We thank you and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.